Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Yoram Solomon, author of The Book of Trust and host of The Trust Show. The answers to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you and can you trust me? If you want to know more, listen to my episode on Build Your Network, powered by Guestio. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Yoram, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because one of the things we talk about on the show constantly is the need to build no like, and trust. And uh, your topic is trust. You've spent time writing and speaking and teaching about this topic. Why is trust so important? Why is that the element that you've you've dedicated so much of your of your life and career to? Well, my my path actually didn't start with trust. I mean, first of all, 30 years ago, if, uh, when I was working as an engineer, if you would have told me that 30 years later, I'll be talking about trust, I would think you're crazy. And and really, the big thing for me was innovation. It was hmm. about innovation. My first book, 15, was about innovation. And uh, 
at some point, I, I realized I'm helping companies uh, either consulting to them, doing workshops, or whether I was working for them or not. Uh, I found that uh, innovation doesn't stick if you don't have something. Something was missing. And that's when I was working on my doctoral research. And uh, the, the question, the research question that, that I spent the next two years answering was why are people so much more creative when they work in startup companies, small companies, than when they work in large, mature companies. I spent the next two years researching it. I interviewed people in the US, Canada, Asia, China specifically, Europe, Israel, and it all boiled down to two words, innovation culture. So obviously I wrote 348 pages, not two words, but and I explained what innovation culture is. And it was in 2017, where my focus is still innovation culture, I had a meeting with someone who ended up, uh, or at that time was a prospective uh, client. And we sat down and I kind of defined what what are the elements of a culture of uh, innovation. And I started asking them about it. And it's like they had none of the good characteristics of a uh, culture of innovation, all of the bad ones. And at that point, I didn't even care if they're going to be my client or not. I just wanted to understand why. Why don't you have any of the good ones and you have all of the bad ones? And at some point I asked, wait, so is that because you don't trust them? Yeah, we we don't trust them. And, and, and is that because they don't trust you? Yeah, that's and And it dawned on me that trust was the foundation for all of that. And at that time, I was writing my seventh book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss. And uh, the the editors had the book. They were editing it when I realized that trust was the foundation. And I never wrote mm-hmm. about trust before that. And so I wrote a six-page epilogue called Building Trust. Mm-hmm. And so the book came back from the editors. I didn't send it back. So all of the typos and grammatical errors are all in that six-page uh, epilogue chapter. But that was the first time I wrote about the trust. And and at that time, I asked 20 of my closest friends and family members, what do you think I should do? I mean, up until now, my focus was always innovation, innovation culture. Should I pivot? Should I take this in the direction of trust? Because I'm starting to understand trust and research trust. 19 out of 20, Eric, 19 out of 20 said, stick with innovation culture. So I moved to trust. (laughs) Um, what was it that pushed you, even having so many people saying, oh, focus on this, stay focused on this? Like, what was it where you couldn't shake that topic? Was it Well, th- th- a couple of things. One of them is, uh, and this, this is true in general, people will always tend to pull you into their comfort zone rather than push you away from yours. And so for good intentions, all of my friends and family members, for good intentions, they said, you know, you have so much more content on innovation, innovation culture. Stay with that. I mean, have you exhausted it? Uh, It's like every time I I would be asked, uh, did you promote that book enough or this book enough? And, And before you move on. My gut told me that that I'm on to something here. And I started reading every book ever written on trust, every article, research article, uh, podcast. I mean, there was very little at that time. And I realized that, you know, 
not only that I'm onto something, but the way I look at trust is different than the way anybody else looked at trust before me. It's it's different, and and I have to bring it out to the world. So that was the the fire that that made me do it. Yeah, you have a specific definition of what trust is, and so you define it as the level to which you are willing to accept the potential negative consequences of giving control over something you have to another person. You know, for us right now, we have a startup Guestio, um, and you know, it's it's one of the conversations that we're having a lot now. We've got a team of three people right now. We're getting ready to start scaling, bringing in some more people. And it is the idea of handing the reins over on certain things is a is a scary proposition. Um, but how did you kind of come to that definition of trust? And maybe getting into some of the actionable side, how do you think people can do a better job of fostering that level of trust of trust with themselves and with others? Well, at first, I started by reading every definition ever written about what trust mm-hmm. is. Uh, some were very academic. Uh, there is this link of risk and trust. So here's the thing. If, if, you, if there is no risk, obviously, if there's no risk, there's no reward. And, and you mm-hmm. know that. But there's risk and there's a potential to reward. But how do you compensate for that risk? Well, the only way to compensate for that risk is by trusting something, someone. This can be trusting yourself, but but typically we talk about trusting other people. And so you're going to have to trust somebody to do something that would get you closer to the reward and expecting them to minimize the possibility of getting negative consequences because there's always going to be risk associated with the reward. There's almost never where somebody says, hey, uh, you want to make $10 million? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Okay, what what's the risk? What's the downside? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no downside. Just you want $10 million. When did that ever happen, right? Mm-hmm. So you want $10 million? Do you want... Eric, you're involved in a startup. I teach entrepreneurship in at SMU in, in Texas. Do you want to build your startup? You do. Are you taking risks? Of course you are. So what helps you take that risk? That you trust people that would get you to the reward and make everything possible to avoid that risk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly it. It's it's the reward. It's that it's that possibility that this could go bigger than and, and it takes more people than just three people <laughs> or two people. Yeah. You have to start expanding that and building something that's that's really huge. And uh, yeah, w- when you're looking at teaching this, you know, when you're teaching trust, because trust is not something it's earned, right? I mean, trust is something that has to be developed. Uh, what, what are some of the ways that um, we can foster that type of trust, whether it's with our internal team or just with other relationships that that come into play? So great question. And I think one of the ways that, that I like to talk about that is, so trust is the foundation for everything, but there is a building block for trust. And what I did was I kind of, I adopted uh, JFK's inauguration uh, address when he said, you remember, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I, I adopted it. And what I say is, ask not what others can do to earn your trust, ask what you can do to earn theirs. Hmm. So the building block for trust is trustworthiness. And if you want to build trust, it really starts with you being trustworthy so that others can trust you. Over the last uh, several years, I observed uh, what I ended up categorizing as eight laws of trust. 
So, for example, you know, I, I want to read to you something from the end of a podcast I listened to. Uh, there is a statement that says, remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. You're smiling. I love you know that. It's yeah, from. That's, that's a great it's quote. It's coming from your <laughs> podcast. And so, you know, the first thing that, that, that attracted me to that statement is you're not talking about leaving it good or bad. You're saying leaving it better. Mm -hmm. So trust is just like that. This is the, my first law of trust. Trust is continuous. It's not binary. Mm. So your starting point is not, how am I going to be trusted? Your starting point has to be, how am I going to be more trusted than I am today? Now, trust is relative, and that is very, very unique to my approach to trust because, uh, and, and I tell this story when, when I do my workshops or, or even keynotes, I got two. So have you ever heard of something that's called uh, Rate My Professors? Mm -hmm. yeah. A website? Yeah, you know what it is. So my daughters, I, I have two daughters, 22 and 20. And uh, one day, one of them was signing up for a class in uh, college. And I saw that she went to that website and she was looking for a professor. And she goes to this Rate My Professors website. And I'm thinking, this is brilliant. I mean, anonymous reviews, just like on Amazon or Google or, or Uber or anything else, anonymous reviews of students who attended a certain class. And then I go, wait a minute, I am a professor. Do I have a page on Rate My Professor? So we go and we check and sure enough, I do. And I, I go, so I am rated 4.5, which, you know, is, is very good. But but I'm starting to look. I, I mean, th this is the way I look at life. I'm 4.5. Wait, why not five? Why, why, right, right. Who gave me less than five? And so I'm going and I'm checking it. And all of a sudden, I find this review with one, one out of five. And one is the minimum. You can't give it a zero. One is the minimum. And and that student says, uh, Professor Solomon is arrogant, condescending, uses his own material, as, a, but he's a good grader. <laughs> so at least <laughs> it wasn't all bad. But here's the interesting thing. I'm looking at the review before and the review after. Now, those are anonymous, so I don't know who wrote them. But I can tell that all three reviews were written at the same semester at the same class. Two of them were fives. One was a one. Trust is relative. You're mm. not going to be trusted the same way for the same thing by different people. And so... Just like I said, you have to start by thinking about how do I become more trusted and not just trusted versus not mm. more trusted. It's, it's, it's a game of one more step. But also you have to ask yourself by whom? Not yeah. everybody is going to trust you, Eric. Not everybody is going to trust me. So you have to ask yourself, what are the relationships where it matters? Not necessarily that it only matters to me, but it matters to the organization. So in your startup company, what are the relationships where you need to be more trusted? So you start, you know, I, I have, uh, it's funny, uh, there is a song that, that was ringing in my head until I realized that my numbers actually are the beginning of the song. If you remember, 8675309, right? As you can tell, I'm not a good singer, but 867, <laughs> I have the eight laws of trust, mm -hmm. six components of trustworthiness, and a seven-step process to become mm -hmm. more trusted. So in the seven-step process, what I say is, one, identify a relationship. Two, find out what you're doing that's holding you back from being more trusted. Three, what are you going to do instead? And so on. I kind of take uh, people who participate in my workshops through that process and, and how do they build a new habit that will make them more trusted. And it's just one habit. Right. Yeah. You, you mentioned the word habit. And I was curious as you were kind of talking, 
What role does consistency play in this? Because it is an incremental process. And obviously there are things that can hurt trust, but not eradicate trust. There's things that can build trust, but they're not going to make it where there's a wholesale, you know, if anybody had a hundred percent trust from anyone, you could do anything, but that doesn't happen. So what role does consistency play in building trust with our ideal client, team members, and so on? So actually, if if I jump from the eight laws to the six components, I broke what makes a person trustworthy into two groups of three components each. One is the who you are, and the other is the what you do. Hmm. Who you are is, this is kind of, when we started interacting, Eric, today in this show, there was a certain level of trust that depended on who you are or who am I in your eyes. When we end this interaction, there's going to be a game of what you do. So what did you do during this interaction? What did I do? The who you are to me is made of three components. One is technical, professional kind of objective. This is competence. How competent am I in what I'm doing? Right now in our relationship, in this interaction, I am a guest. I'm an expert on trust. How competent I am, how competent do I come across as? Mm. Consistency is part of that. The more consistent you are in doing something. And I'm only applying this to the relationship that we're having during one podcast episode. But think about that in the context of your work, your company. You want somebody to be competent in something very specific. And that's part of their competence. You want them to be consistent in that competence. The second part, which, by the way, is the biggest, has the biggest impact on trustworthiness. I changed the name for that over the years. And the most recent one is I call that personality compatibility. Compatibility. It's not that we have to be the same. It's not that we have to have exactly the same values. It's that the important things for us, and this is not professional, person, uh, professional, technical, or objective. This is highly subjective. This is you and I are different people. You know, just like those three students sitting in my class, one of them thought I was uh, arrogant and condescending. The other two thought that, uh, man, he really cares about our success. And that's what they wrote. How, how can you think? Because it's personal and it's different. And this comes to personality compatibility. There are parts in personality compatibility that have to be the same. You know, imagine if you and I were married, that one of us is a big spender and the other one is a saver. We're not going to get along. We have yeah. to be the same. But my wife, for example, she doesn't she she doesn't like doing the the uh finances. Mm. I do. We're opposite, but it works together. We're compatible. Right. So there are com- uh, components there. Consistency is one of them. It, it's mostly in the area of competence. Right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed, if you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You can definitely improve on your competencies, right? You can learn how to be better. You can do, you know, if you want to get more trust as a, as a business owner, you can learn the business better. You learn how to execute better. When it comes to compatibility, that is something that's a little bit harder to change uh, or to make adjustments to. How much of our effort should we put on trying to improve our compatibility with other people versus just trying to find people we're already compatible with and doubling down there? Well, that, that's a very insightful question, I, I have to tell you, because one of the things that I say is, and, and you know, one of my latest books, so book number 14, I have a short, uh, a series of mini books, kind of 100 pages each with specific tips. Uh, you know, the book of trust, I'm now working on the third edition. It's like more than 500 pages. It has everything. But if you want actionable advice, it's that those mini books. Can I trust you? That's what they're called. Each one of them is aimed at a different role. So one is for salespeople, leaders, team members. So the 14th one was for project managers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I said there is uh, how do you build trust in the team? And the thing is, what do you do when it's hard to build? So there are things that are easier to build, like competence. Even that, it's going to take time. Right. One other thing is we don't trust people we see for the first time. I mean, we are very attentive to their behavior and what they do in the first time, but it takes a while to trust them. Mm-hmm. Personality compatibility is different because personality com- compatibility is very hard to change. So the first question you have to ask is, are we compatible In areas where we're compatible, that's great. But in areas that we are not compatible, two questions. One, how important are they? Mm. Okay. So, you know, I don't care if you are a supporter, a member of the opposite party, political party. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Uh, That that doesn't play a big role. That's not true for everyone. For some people, if you are a member of the opposite party than me, I think we don't share values and I will never trust you. It doesn't matter, right? And unfortunately, this is happening. So the first question is how important it is. The second is, can you change it? Mm. And are you willing to change it? So that's one question. Can you and are you willing to change it? If the answer is no, 
this is something that we avoid and we shouldn't, you have to make a tough call. Mm. And that is, I'm sorry, we th- this is not working out. I'm not doing you a favor by keeping you in the company and you're not doing me a favor by staying in the company. I mean, right. this is a toxic relationship. And, and here's an interesting thing. Trust has an impact on three things, three behaviors. Your willingness to be vulnerable with me. You're not going to be vulnerable with me if you don't trust me, that that I'm not going to go tell others what you said or what you did or what happened to you. You have to trust me to be vulnerable with me. You have to trust me to give me direct, unfiltered feedback and not worry about my reaction. Mm. And you have to trust me to be receptive to feedback that I give you. Trust me that I have your best interest in mind. If you achieve all three of those, you can have what I call a constructive disagreement, Mm. which is like the optimal way to disagree, where on one side, very inefficient and unproductive is the destructive disagreement. And on on the other side, that's the politically correct disagreement. You know, Eric, that, that's when we have the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, just not yeah. the meeting during the meeting. Yeah. So trust affects your willingness to be vulnerable, for example, which would let you be uh, have a constructive disagreement. Let's say this. We're in the same company. We're working in the same company. You trust everybody in the company. How vulnerable. We're having a company meeting or, or just a team meeting. You know, it's just five of us. You trust every one of the other four. Excellent. We have a very constructive disagreement. We add one more person that you don't trust. How vulnerable are you willing to be? Right. Yeah, that one person is the weakest link. So that person, it's not just one relationship that goes south that that's, doesn't have trust. It drags everything down. Mm. So you have to know when, uh, you know, competence can be built. Time can be built. Personality compatibility, unless something is not important or you're willing and capable to change it, you may want to have them make a tough call and say, let's, let's break this up. Right. Right. Yeah, it is so important. And that's something we, we were talking about just, uh, just Wednesday, we were having a meeting and we were going through some training. We had somebody that we brought in to help us guide some of our processes and things. And we all kind of recognized the fact that we were all very comfortable giving a very open answer to each other and openly and being able to leave that conversation where it is and still be coworkers and friends leaving that situation. It, it didn't destroy the environment, but it was because there was no fear of how's Travis going to respond? How's Joanna going to respond? How am I going to respond? Is there going to be anger or yelling or an outburst or feelings hurt? You know, all those different things that that come into play. Um, I'm definitely curious. We, we're circling relationships a ton. So I think it's probably a good time to ask you a question. We ask everybody that comes on the show. Yeah. Um, but do you believe the who you know is more important or is it the what you know? Is it the the knowledge you have or the people that you you know and connect with? Well, I think that's that's a great question because I think that uh, they are both very important. The what you know is is really the value that you can bring. You know, the, I know something and I can bring value through through what I know. Uh, unless you know, I'm thinking about this in a completely self centered way, and what what does what do I get out of it? Right. But I think that the what I know is the value that I bring. The who 
who I know is how can I leverage this this value that I bring by bringing it to other people? So I, I think the what I know, how good is it if you're all by yourself on an, an island? You know, mm. what, what good is what you know? I mean, you're alive. Um, who you know all by itself, if you got nothing to contribute, what does that matter? So I think it's the combination. You have to know something and you have to know people that you can bring this to. Probably mm. not the answer you're looking for. No, I no. I, I'm always curious to hear what people's answer is for that specific reason. Is that it? It is nuanced, and some get really focused on what you know and building up your knowledge base. So you can bring value. Some get very much. It doesn't matter what you know if you know the right people and you can make a phone call. You can make something happen. So I'm always curious to know what what uh, the individual answers are going to be because it's always it it always surprises me where people end up on that. You know, it's. One of, uh, I was asked a question I was really not ready for uh, one time. And that was, what do you want written on your headstone mm. after you pass? What would you like written on it? And and I thought about that. And I said, you know what? Three words. He inspired me. Mm. Those three words. And this is why it, it's not enough that you know a lot, because you're not going to inspire people if you don't know pe- enough people or not enough people know you. And 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 you're not going to inspire anyone if you don't know anything and then you can't contribute anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's super, super helpful. Well, look, I, w- I could definitely keep talking about this, but I'm going to move us here into our random round because I know you have some interesting answers for this as well. First of all, what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Fly an FA-18 Super Hornet. Okay. Is that a helicopter plane? Are you kidding me? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no. This is uh, an F-18 right in my background now. Uh, That's an F-18. F-18 is a multi-role fighter jet that uh, flies off of aircraft carriers. Well, in the U.S., uh, aircraft carriers, the Canadians have a a land version of it. So that, that would be it. And if finally, finally... The uh, sequel for Top Gun comes out. There are a lot of F-18s in that movie. Gotcha. I'm excited for Top Gun, but I had no idea what they were called. It was just just jets for me. So I'm learning. I'm, I'm no, picking up my watch you now. Jet. It's the <laughs> best looking fighter jet ever made. There you go. Awesome. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Okay, if you would have asked that question before yesterday, I would give you different names. But okay. since you asked uh, yesterday, it would have to be uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And hmm. what I'm going to say, ask him is, what were you thinking when you changed the name to a word that in Hebrew means dead, D-E-A-D? <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just thinking in Israel, people in Israel are going, Facebook is dead. That, that's really what they say. When they that's say fa- Facebook is meta, that's Facebook is dead. So what were you thinking? But if you would have asked me before yesterday, uh, my two heroes, Steve Jobs and Robin mm. Williams. Mm. Steve Jobs, well, actually both of them for their creativity, their spontaneity, uh, their, you know, Steve Jobs, he couldn't care less about uh, the uh, political correctness of uh what is the right process to develop a product? No, the right process to develop a product is to come up with brilliant ideas. Mm. And it doesn't matter if, if the ideas come from one person. It's still a brilliant idea. And Robin Williams, if you've ever seen Robin Williams on stage, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that 99% of what he's saying was never written. 
on yeah. the script. I mean, he just he's out there. So uh, these these would be the two. So uh, Steve Jobs on one side, Robin Williams on the other. It has to be a bigger bench. And Mark Zuckerberg somewhere uh, somewhere stuffed Mark in there Mark Zuckerberg well. <laughs> after yesterday, just so that I can ask him, what were you thinking? I mean, just how hard is it to ask what would that sound like in different languages? Sure, sure. That's funny. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. 6 a.m., I start writing. So I, I love writing. I'm, I'm writing the third edition for the Book of Trust. And in parallel, I'm uh, writing a um, uh, my 16th book, which actually is a shorter version of the Book of Trust. Uh, I'm going to write a fictional book next year, which I didn't tell my wife yet. And now I guess we just announced it. Talk um, a little bit quieter because she's probably yeah. listening. Which... <laughs> so I, I write until about eight. Okay. At 8 a.m., I, I reach out to one person that I know in, you know, in a closer network, kind of catching up. Uh, so every day, one person, I reached one today. Um, one event, I, I reach out to one event that would want to host me. And after that, it's just, you know, responding to emails, communicating with the other people, doing stuff, you know, practicing my hobby. Right, right. Uh, what is your go-to pump-up song? So <laughs> recently it kind of became eight, six, seven, five, because it's the eight laws of trust, six yeah. components of trustworthiness and seven steps process. But it used to be Eminem. I don't remember the name of the song, but it's the part where he says, success is the only option. <laughs> Failure is not. Right. I don't know if you are PG uh, 13 or... Uh, and the thing, the the song that I ask every time I go on a keynote and they ask me, what song do you want us to put uh, when you go up on stage? Uh, Imagine Dragons Believer. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was going to ask if one of these made it to your uh, your stage intro song. So what is something that you're not very good at? Politics. Hmm. I, and believe it or not, uh, I was an elected official. I was elected in 2015 uh, to the Plano Independent School District Board. I served in four years. I'm not good in politics because politics takes a lot of BS these days. And I'm a very, very no BS person. BS, by the way, BS versus no BS is one of the six components of uh, being trustworthy. So I'm not good in politics. And another thing that I found, I, I know this is going to sound crazy maybe, but uh, I, I'm not interested. I don't think I'm a very good leader. Uh, and uh, I, when I moved to Texas from California, I lived in California as well. When I moved to Texas, uh, it was to run a $100 million business unit uh, with 89 people. After about a year, I went to the Center for Creative Leadership. I sat with a psychologist on the last day of that week. And I asked, am I a leader or an individual contributor? Uh, we had a two-hour conversation. I came back to Texas, sat with my boss, and I said, I don't want to lead. I'm a, I'm a good, very good individual contributor, but I'm, I don't enjoy being a leader. Yeah, that's such an interesting conversation. Because I think, obviously, entrepreneur culture, you know, when you look at social media, you look at any talks about it they seem to be focused on the leader side, you know, and everybody in their own way is a leader. Like there's leader, everyone's a leader in some area of their life. But, you know, that was a conversation I had with Travis when we started working together a couple of years ago. It was, I just told him, I said, I don't know if this is really bad. I don't know if this is going to ruin our working relationship. But I said, I don't want to be a CEO. Like I like being a cog in the machine on some level and making the machine run smoother. 
but I don't want to be the person sitting at the front of a board table making those decisions. I just don't, that doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't excite me and no dollar sign makes that worthwhile. And I think there's, there's not enough content, I think, for people who feel that where they, they want the freedom of entrepreneurship without, you know, wanting to basically replace the role of what their boss currently is. You know, there's that, there's that room in between. Um, so you I think know, that's and, really, and one really of, interesting. One of the biggest mistakes we make is, is captured in, this is actually a book that was written that's called, you're familiar with the Peter Principle, right? No. I'm Peter not. Principle that says a person will always get promoted to their level of incompetence. Because that's what we do. You know, you're yeah. a great individual contributor. So we're going to make you a manager of a team. Yeah. And maybe you're going to do that well. So we're going to promote you further. And at some point, we're going to put you in a, in a level, in a position where you're going to be incompetent. That's where you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck in the level of incompetence. Right. And um, I, I don't want to be stuck at a level of incompetence. I know that I'm a very good individual contributor. I stand in front of an audience. I can inspire groups. Two weeks ago, I inspired a group of 3,550 people. I write. I, I have my own podcast. I'm not a good leader. And, mm. and you're right. That's, I think that's one of the biggest issues. Everything is a leadership program. Everything is about how you become a leader. And if there's one message I try to get to the world, other than the importance of trust, is not everybody has to be a leader. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have less value if you're not a leader. It took me, it, it was a big step for me to go to my boss and say, I don't want to run the business anymore. Yeah. I want to be the strategist. Yeah. Well, you, you feel, again, with the culture, you feel like saying that is admitting some kind of defeat or failure. And so it does take a lot of time to come to that and recognize that's a healthy thing. You're just leaning into your strengths. And I'm hoping there's people listening to this episode who are breathing a sigh of relief going like, thank goodness, because <laughs> I was I, I keep hearing the alpha, you know, uh, yeah. CEO type, you know, bringing this up. And I think there is that room. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a, just a hardcore follower. But like you said, individual contributor, what are you bringing to your area really, really well? Um, yeah. Think, and, you know, yeah. remember when I talked about this component of personality compatibility, Imagine if we thought that in order for us, and this is how people thought about trust until now, imagine for us to trust, trust each other, we have to be the same. So mm. imagine five people in a team, all of them are type A personalities. How yeah. well is that going to work? I've seen a lot of sales teams where that's the case and it never works well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I know. I know. That's awesome. Well, like I, I had a really good time chatting with you. Uh, I know we uh, we ran even longer than expected, but I, I love conversations like this. And uh, I definitely want our audience to be able to connect with you. You've got uh, several books we'll link out to in the show notes. But if someone wants to keep up with you, follow your thoughts on these as they develop, uh, what are the best places on social to connect with you? The best is really to go to my website, yoramsolomon.com, Y-O-R-A-M-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. Actually, just Google Yoram Solomon, you're going to find everything. My handles, my social media handles are always Yoram Solomon, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, anything else, Facebook, LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, definitely everybody's listening. Be sure to connect, grab a copy of one of Yoram's books or all of Yoram's books and uh, start reading in on this topic. And Yoram, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Eric. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.